Hello everyone, this is Jennifer Shahadi, and today I'm bringing you a bonus episode of The Grid from my other podcast, Ladies' Night. The guest, chess champion Rusadan Golatiani, is an exceptional woman with a harrowing and ultimately heartwarming story, so I know you're going to enjoy this one. Rusadan is also featured in my book, Chess Queens, which is out March 3rd and now available for pre-order in digital, hardcover, and audiobook editions. Do enjoy, and Happy New Year. He played Carol Khan. His rating was higher. But from move 17, the king's side was mine. Took my chances fast. My rook was a knife. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ladies' Night, the official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. I'm your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and you are listening to the artist Huga of hugamusica.com. And that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh, Capablanca. His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast for your shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at U.S. Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our U.S. Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ladies' Night. This is Jennifer Shahadi, and today I'm very happy to welcome international master Rusadan Golatiani. She has so many titles. She's a three-time world youth champion, a two-time Olympic medalist, former U.S. women's champion. In fact, she took my title in 2005, and now Rusadan works in finance, but she also takes time for the game. In fact, she just won the Chess in the Parks tournament this fall, and Really importantly to our work at U.S. Chess Women, she also gives talks to inspire young people to organizations like Girls to Grandmasters and to U.S. Chess Women. On that note, at the K-12 Nationals in Orlando in December, Rusa was attending because all three of her children were playing in the tournament. And she also came to the Girls Club room, a space for women and girls and their families to hang out between rounds. She gave a riveting presentation where she spoke about some of the struggles she encountered in her very successful life and the importance of confidence, especially for women approaching fields where they are outnumbered like chess and finance. And she talked about her chess origins in Georgia, a country known for its legendary female chess champions. And on that note, Rusa, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jen very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So take us back to the earliest days of chess. Um, When was it obvious that you had a talent for the game? I think it was pretty clear from the beginning because I really loved the game uh, when my father taught me um, at age of six. I picked it up and I was one of those kids that could still uh, sit still for a long time. So chess turned out to be a great sport for me because I could play for hours with my dad and I would never complain. So Shortly after, he took me to a chess school and I started to play tournaments right away. And even though it did take me about three years to beat my dad, 
he was actually pretty good. You know, he was not a professional, but he used to play in school and in um, college. So he loved the game and used to do some chess puzzles. Yeah, I think it was pretty clear from, from the beginning that this was something that I would uh, love to do for quite a long time. Um, I mentioned the Georgia chess tradition. At the time that your father was coaching you, um, Maya Chibernaimizi was the women's world champion. And uh, she was a successor to the original Georgian women's chess great, Nona Gafrindashvili. How much did their success kind of play into your father's decision to teach you in the first place? Oh, absolutely. I think it played a huge role. You know, my dad was really following uh, both Nona and Maya's success. Even some other chess players, you know, like Nana Yoseliani and Nana Alexandria. Like, I remember we used to cut out of uh, newspaper their pictures and uh, articles and put it on the wall. And uh, they really played a huge role. Chess is such a big part of uh, my home country, Georgia. Almost like every girl uh, starts to play chess because of them. And they've played a huge role in not only... uh, Georgian chess players, but also Polgar scissors. I think they uh, were great role models for all the Georgian chess players as well, because I remember when I was pretty young, my dad talked about Polgar scissors and how amazing they were. So growing up, I had enough role models that, uh, and both my dad and I were really admiring all the great chess players of Georgia and Hungary. So we definitely um, both wanted to kind of pursue chess career. You know, I saw this great movie called Glory to the Queen about the um, great champions of Georgia. It covered Nona and Maya and Nana Ayosilani and, of course, Nana Alexandria. So Alexandria, both of the Nanas were world championship candidates, right? So they were very, very close to the crown as well. Exactly. I feel like, you know, for two decades or more, I guess, you know, Georgian chess players really uh, dominating the uh, world uh, scene of chess. And there were so many uh, candidate matches played in Georgia and they were basically competing against each other. So all four of them were just amazing. And uh, they're really legends of uh, Georgia and such great chess players. I think because of them, chess is so popular and will always be popular in Georgia. And I'm so grateful that, you know, there were such great chess players because if they didn't play chess and become such good players, I don't think that my dad would, uh, you know, teach me the game. I'm really grateful for them. Can you mention all of their names in a row and just like say the movie focused on them? Sure. It's, uh, well, I'll start with Nona Gaprindashvili, Maya Chiburdanidze, Nana Yoseliani, and Nana Alexandria. So all four of them are uh, featured in this documentary. Now, did you have any brushes with any of them in your early career, like either playing or coaching? You lived in um, Tsukimi, right? Most of them were in Tbilisi, right? Yes, exactly. So when I was very young, I didn't really interact with them until I moved to Tbilisi uh, when I was about 13. And then even though I never really got a chance to play them, although I did play Nana Yoseliani in a rapid, rapid tournament once, but I did talk to them quite a lot. And, and actually, I was fortunate enough to train with uh, Nana Alexandria for some time. So I definitely did have some interaction with them. And they're all very uh, modest and, and great people. But uh, yeah, my career began uh, in Sohumi and it was a very small town in Georgia. I had a really uh, nice coach there, a couple of coaches actually, that they were really dedicated to my chess and they've done so much for my game. I think it's because of them that you know I uh, pursued the career in chess. But unfortunately, um, we had a war there and one day we just had to leave. And that's when I moved to Tbilisi. My family became refugees in our own country. So one day we just had to uh, 
move to the capital and basically start the life from scratch. But, you know, at the same time, uh, it was a great place to be for chess because uh, obviously Felici was the place where all the action and most of the tournaments were held. So definitely did help my chess career. So you were among 200,000 people who um, fled your region in Georgia, Abkhazia. And in the Girls Club, you told us about how you fled with uh, basically your backpack. Uh, You didn't have any time to collect your belongings before you left. Yes, that's actually a very emotional part of my life. Uh, I remember it like yesterday when my dad uh, told us that we had to flee and uh, we had to grab something, whatever we needed as quickly as possible and go for the airport. And uh, the only thing I really uh, picked up was my chess notebook. I didn't even know what what else to uh, take. But, you know, chess notebooks were very precious to me because they had all my games and all my openings in it. So, uh, That was really the only thing I took with me. And I'll never forget because when we got to the airport, it was insane. Everybody was trying to get on that plane because obviously everybody wanted to escape the war zone. And also they had so many soldiers that they had to move because they were, you know, wounded. And uh, when we got on the plane, barely made it because, you know, uh, they let my dad go only because, you know, he was with uh, me and my sister and my cousin. My cousin was really young at the time. I was around 13. So we got in and I will never forget, they turned the lights off on the plane. So they told us that we have to fly without any lights on the plane because if the enemy sees the lights in the sky, they might actually shut the plane down. And all I remember for maybe it was like 15, 20 minutes until we kind of reached the safe zone in Georgia. I remember playing flying in pitch dark. We couldn't see anything, but I could hear people crying. Adults, soldiers crying from pain, all the kids crying, everybody so scared. And I remember just praying to God, you know, just to get to a safe place and be able to escape this war zone. And I never forget the feeling the, of the lights going on on the uh, plane, which meant that we were safe now. That's why the lights came on. And even now, like when I remember, I get shivers uh, um, and uh, goose, goosebumps and uh, get very emotional about that. But yeah, that was definitely uh, a life-changing event uh, that kind of, you know, makes you realize to um, count your blessings every day and every second. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, the power of those, those lights coming on and then within another hour or so, like how big of a country is Georgia? It must've been pretty close to Tbilisi at that point, right? Yes, it's a very small country. So I would say like it only took about 15, 20 minutes to, um, you know, fly out of the uh, danger zone into the safety all in all, probably it was like a maybe half an hour, 40 minute flight. So it was pretty close. But, you know, those those 15 minutes were probably like uh, years uh, for many people. You know, I, I was pretty young and I probably didn't even fully understand the danger of it. But unfortunately, the plane that took off after our plane was shut down. So everybody on the plane died. Oh, no, that's so sad. And your father, your sister and your, your mother and your cousin were all on this, this plane that survived. Uh, no, unfortunately, my mother was not on this plane. Uh, my mother actually died a year earlier in a very unfortunate car accident. And that's uh, another big uh, tragedy that my family had to go through. She actually brought me to a chess tournament. And uh, on the way back, she got into a car accident and died. Um, unfortunately, she was only 35 years old. And I was only 12 at the time. That definitely uh, was was another big tragedy. And right after that, the war started. So we kind of had like, I I had really tough time back to back. 
losing my mom uh, and then uh, losing my basically hometown and my house and moving to a new town to Pilisi where I didn't know anyone, you know, we didn't have a house, we didn't own anything. We basically, you know, the only thing I really owned uh, were my chess notebooks. Yeah, we were fortunate enough that, you know, we had some relatives who helped us uh, stay in their apartment for a while and my dad was able to get a job. But, you know, it was a struggle for quite some time. I remember my dad get up like at four in the morning to stand online for two, three hours to get one loaf of bread. That's how tough the times in Georgia were back then. And I remember studying chess under candlelight because we didn't have electricity for days, sometimes weeks. We didn't have uh, hot water. We didn't have heat. I remember like basically wearing everything that I owned because it was so cold in the apartment that we couldn't get warmed up. It was really tough. But somehow I think chess really helped me to get through those tough times. And I talk about chess a lot uh, in that sense because uh, the real life outside of chess was so hard for me because I had lost my mom and I had lost my house and everything that belonged to me. That chess world was something that I was looking forward to getting into. So every time I went to a tournament or, or I played a game, it was like a relief uh, from the real world because you know I would completely devote myself to the game and block the outside world. And for, for those few hours that I played chess, nothing else existed. So I think that kind of brought me happiness and it helped me escape the real world. Just the total absorption of chess. I mean, I'm so sorry about um, losing your mother at such a young age. You did uh, talk about some of these struggles in the girls club room and everybody was so moved and, and really also inspired by your, your words about how you were able to, um, you know, have a successful life through all these misfortunes. Then when you were in Tbilisi, you came with so little. Um, at what point did things start to turn around for your family? I mean, did your father find a job at some point? Like what, what was like the, the next steps that um, allowed you to be, to eventually move to the United States? Yes. I mean, he was um, able to find a job, but it was barely enough to uh, you know, pay for food. So honestly, you know, we didn't really have much. But, you know, like I, I was a kid and I was uh, playing chess and I had friends and that really uh, helped me get through. And uh, luckily I was doing well and, you know, I was winning Georgian championships, uh, which allowed me to play World Youth Championships, which meant Georgian Chess Federation would sponsor me to go to these events. We didn't really have to put any money out for that. So um, that was the highlight of my life waiting to go play World Youth Championship. And I was uh, pushing myself and trying to do my best. And I was fortunate enough to uh, win three times. And th those uh, wins were, were amazing. But the times didn't really get better. You know, I mean, it got a little bit better. I mean, we were, we were safe, but we barely had uh, any money for um, clothes or anything else, you know, besides food. I, you know, I tell my kids this all the time remind them that they have to count their blessings. Because I remember one time I came back from a chess tournament and I was <laughs> really hungry. And, you know, I went to open the refrigerator and uh, the only thing in the fridge was a little piece of butter. That, that was the only thing in my fridge. And now, you know, like sometimes when I open the fridge and it's like, you know, overflowing with, with food and my kids say, well, mom, we don't have anything to eat. You know, <laughs> I always, you know, remember that. And I tell them about that story. Of course, you know, it's hard for them to understand. Yeah, times were really difficult. And that's probably one of the reasons or one of the main reasons I decided to uh, come to the U.S. and uh, try to um, figure out a way to earn more money and, and make a better living. So when I did decide to um, 
come here. My, my dad actually was able to get a sponsor who um, gave me money to buy the ticket. And when I moved to the U.S. in 2000, my friend's mom was so nice that she let me stay with her for six months for free. And I met a lot of nice people in the U.S. You know, people told me I could apply for a green card and become a U.S. citizen through chess, which I did. And um, I guess, you know, as a person with extraordinary ability, I remember, you know, like U.S. immigration asked me for a lot of documents. And I asked my dad to send me my chess diplomas and all the newspaper articles and you know, he translated, and I remember I had such a big pack of all the uh, documents that I submitted to the U.S. immigration, and, and I got approved right after that. So I'm really fortunate that I was able to stay here and make a better living. Uh, and, you know, since I uh, came here, I started to support my dad. You know, I would send him money every month to my father as, as well as my sister, and I supported them for many years until they were able to get better jobs and life improved in Georgia. That's wonderful. Um, and of course, we're lucky to have you. In the Girls Club room, you told a really, a really amazing story about how you started out in Brooklyn uh, as a babysitter. And um, then you realized that maybe there was another job that you could do quite easily. <laughs> oh, that is so true. That is so true. Well, I have to say, you know, my English was very limited when I moved here because um, in school in Georgia, I studied German. I did study uh, English a little bit uh, in college, but you know my main um, foreign language was German, so it was pretty limited. So when I moved here, I remember sitting with a dictionary, watching TV all the time. Actually, I got into this uh, TV show Friends, and I would watch it all the time, and you know translate it, and like that's pretty much how I learned uh, English watching Friends. But uh, yes, I did start as a babysitter, and uh, there's a funny story. I was actually working in Scarsdale, New York, as a babysitter. And one day, um, there's a knock on the door. I open it up. Guy comes in, sets up a chessboard, and starts to coach the kids that I'm babysitting. And you can just imagine, you know, I was already an accomplished chess player. My, my uh, you know, eyes lit up. I got so super excited. And I'm like, can I play with you? And he kind of looked at me uh, thinking, oh, you know, why is this uh, babysitter distracting my lesson? And he said, well, okay, you know, I can play against you after the lesson. So I patiently waited. And then when lesson was over, I played a game with him uh, and I quickly beat him. He was really surprised, you know. Then he turned the board around. Now he took the white pieces and we played again. And when I again quickly beat him, he looked at me and he said, what are you doing here? You should be teaching chess. <laughs> so that's how my chess career actually started in the U.S. Uh, he helped me to, actually, he was working for uh, Sunil, Hikaru's dad, and uh, he uh, helped me. I mean, Suniel, he introduced me to Suniel, and Suniel actually uh, gave me a job uh, working for uh, National Scholastic Chess Foundation as a chess teacher. So that's, my ch that's how my chess teaching career started here. <laughs> and then, of course, you started representing the United States in Olympiads. You won a U.S. championship, but you also ended up wanting something beyond chess, and you went to Columbia University for finance. Why did you decide to pursue something outside the chess world? You know, everybody asked me, like, you know, why uh, I love chess so much, uh, right? Um, and the reason why I love chess so much, you know, I feel like almost everything that I did in life is somehow connected with chess. And chess has helped me throughout my whole life. In the beginning, because of, you know, it helped me kind of ease the pain of losing my mom and losing my hometown and everything uh, that was associated with that. It helped me come to the U.S. to make a better living, right? Then, of course, you know, like I was able to get into Colombia, which is, I think, you know, a big deal, especially for someone, you know, who um, didn't grow up in the U.S. So I, I think my chess 
uh, resume really, you know, helped me get into Columbia. And the reason why I decided to uh, try something else, you know, honestly, like I did play chess for quite some time, like full time. And I got a scholarship for chess, like Stanford scholarship, which was amazing. You know, I was able to travel the world to study and devote myself to chess. That's why I ended up winning, you know, U.S. championship, U.S. continent championship, the medals at the Olympian. And it was all amazing. But, you know, once I got married and had a kid, actually, you know, I couldn't really travel as much anymore because it was hard to leave my kid behind. And I didn't have a degree. And my father, who was a university professor, you know, he constantly reminded me that chess was great, but I also had to get the degree. So it was always on the back of my mind that I had to go back to school and get the degree. So uh, I ended up um, going to a local college first, and I transferred to Columbia, finance and economics. I just liked the idea of, uh, you know, studying uh, economics because of my dad, I guess, you know, he uh, was an economics professor. So um, I really liked it. And then when I graduated from uh, Columbia, uh, I wanted to try finance because a lot of my students were uh, students' parents, I should say, were in finance. When I would talk, uh, talk to them, they would say, oh, you know, you're a chess player. You probably will like finance. You know, you probably like trading. So you should probably try one of these days. So uh, when I graduated from Columbia, I applied to Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Asset Management. I, I was able to get into uh, rates and effect trading, you know, macro desk. And that's where my career started. And then I recently uh, moved to um, another um, firm, BlackRock, which is, uh, you know, one of the uh, biggest, biggest asset managers uh, in the country. Um, and I'm, you know, on an FX trading desk and I uh, really enjoy, enjoy my current job. Fantastic. You know, one thing that is important to you and to me is that, uh, you know, in fields like chess and finance and also poker, which I play, it is very clear that there's a lot fewer women and that sometimes they lack the confidence rather than the skills to excel in in these fields. So can you tell me a little bit about that and the overlap you see there between um, your different interests? Yes, definitely. You know, that's one of the subjects that greatly interests me because I definitely see lack of confidence uh, in girls, in women uh, everywhere, uh, especially in male-dominated fields. I see it in chess and I have always seen it in chess I see it in, within my children because I have two boys and a girl and I've seen it within my students as well. And same in finance. I mean, you know, you don't really see a lot of women in finance and especially uh, at the top. So I think um, the confidence issue is real. I've you know, gone through a couple of researches where uh, they talk about um, confidence between girls and boys. And the research talks about how girls often will overwork themselves during school years to, re- to you know, reach a good results. So for example, you know, like they would do extra homework, you know, and spend a little bit extra time uh, and always doubt themselves. Do I know enough? Am, am I ready enough uh, to pass this test? And sometimes maybe they do a little bit too much work. Boys, they try to find the easiest way to reach maximum results. So if you do that, you know, for many years, <laughs> the result of that is that, you know, women need to do extra work always. They always doubt themselves. And boys feel like, you know what, they can figure it out with a lot less work. When they apply for jobs, it's a known fact that, you know, when you look at, look at the uh, job application, women want to make sure that they satisfy every point on the uh, job application. Men feel like, you know, if they can do half of what's required, the rest they can figure out. I think it is kind of linked somehow. You know, I think it's important to build confidence from early ages because, you know, if you are getting used to being the certain way, always doubting yourself as a kid, you know, when you become an adult, it's not going to change overnight. 
I recently actually listened to Judith Polgar interview where she also talks about the differences between um, a girl and uh, boys. And she says, you know, often the goals for girls are different boys where, you know, maybe you will say to the girl, oh, you know what, uh, you can become a PhD. But to a boy, you know, you would hear they say, oh, you know, you can become a Nobel Prize winner. He actually pointed out that, you know, it's important to kind of, you know, set those expectations right from the beginning and tell girls, you know, they can become Nobel Prize winners. They can be as good as, you know, boys. They can be uh, world champions, not like women's world champions, but they can be world champions. And I think Judy Polgar is a great example of that. I think her father did this amazing experiment where, you know, she actually uh, was only playing male uh, tournaments. She never even cared about women's world championship title, right? She only played with boys. And as a fact, you know, she became one of the top players in the world. I greatly admire that. So I really do believe that it's possible with the correct approach from very early age. You know, I do feel like boys maybe have it more natural, that confidence, they're born with it, and girls need to work on it more. So I think as parents or as coaches, I think it's, it's important that, you know, from very beginning, we tell girls, you know, you can win nationals, not girls' nationals, but nationals, and you can become a grandmaster, not, you know, WGM, but GM, because I mean, the perception is very different nowadays. You know, I actually had somebody ask me the other day in a conversation, I said I was an international master. And this guy looked at me and he said, uh, women's international master, right? And I was like, no, I am actually an international master. Fortunately, right? I mean, you see it everywhere, right? Like, you know, if you're a female, you're, you're not as good as, you know, like, somebody that, you know, male, unfortunately. So we have to change that. I think, I think we have to change that. You know, there is a lot of work to do, but, you know, like one day at a time, I think it's getting better for sure. You know, like when I first moved to the U.S., only very few girls played chess. Now it's definitely, you know, getting better and we are seeing better players. I think, you know, society is very important. Often girls quit playing chess because there are no other girls playing. I'm sure, you know, you have some, some of the great ideas because you're doing a lot of work in that direction. So we have to figure out how to, you know, raise more confident girls and, you know, make more Judy Polgars. <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. And I think that you put it so beautifully. Uh, I've read and even involved in research on these topics. But one thing I really love that you said is that girls can get burnout if they work too hard. And that over like one year, maybe it's no big deal, but over a whole career that could like, you know, push them away from the things that they love. And that's actually a point I hadn't considered before. So thank you for bringing that up. Final question is that, in my book, Chess Queens, you told me that Americans don't respect chess as much as its, you know, exalted status in Georgia. But when you told me that, that was about 15 years ago. So seeing chess boom and people like Hikaru Nakamura and the Botez sisters get these massive sponsorships and prize funds increase everywhere, that must be really cool. Oh, no, I agree with you completely. I mean, a lot has changed. Chess has definitely become more exciting. A lot of more sponsorship, as you said. Queen's Gambit, I think, was a big hit, right? Like, everybody was hitting me up, saying, oh, you know, this was amazing. We didn't realize chess was so much fun. Now a lot more women want to learn how to play chess. A lot of moms want to uh, learn how to play chess. It has definitely become a lot more popular, but I think we're still behind in comparison to, to Europe. For example, like, you know, can you make a living uh, playing a chess league here? Do women or even men like average players, uh, average grandmasters, I would say not like super grandmasters, just grandmasters get paid 
to play in the open tournaments here, right? I mean, do they get paid to play league? Do they get paid per game? I don't think we're quite there yet. Whereas in Europe, people do get paid to go and play tournaments, right? And their expenses get covered. They get, you know, tuition to participate, uh, whether you are a female a grandmaster or uh, just a regular GM. Uh, you get a lot more sponsorship uh, if you play in Europe. So I think we we still have more room to catch up. I really hope that more sponsors will become interested in chess. But I agree with you that we have made uh, tremendous progress. Yes. And thank you for all your contributions. And I know you have to run. I mean, it's amazing that you're a chess champion, a mom of three, a Columbia grad, finance. You definitely have some excellent time management skills. And so thank you for taking 30 minutes of those valuable time to tell us your remarkable life story. Rusadan Golutiani, thank you very much for appearing on Ladies Night. Oh, thanks, Jenny. It was really my pleasure. Always great to talk to you. If you like what we're doing at US Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our US Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible. The US Chess Suite of podcasts, including Ladies Night, are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. Chess podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies' night. Now according to Sockfish, I got it all wrong After slightly My dear Capablanco, you tell me we'll learn more from our defeats. Who needs victories?